Hello. Welcome to the Campus Bible Study Podcast. Join us each week as we hear from God's Word, as we seek to prayerfully proclaim the crucified Christ as Lord of all. Thanks, Naomi. It's great to be with you. It actually, um, I think it's up further. It dawned on me last week that it's been 30 years since I started university here on this campus. So I wasn't banished uh, for 30 years, but it's nice to be back. Um, and uh, yeah, great to be speaking from that part of the Bible that Naomi just read. Um, you can follow an outline uh, inside your handout there, as well as there'll be. Uh, Headings on the screen that I'm just going to give head signals to, uh, to Sarah as we go along. Um, and uh, let me pray that I can say what God wants me to say from this part of his word. Dear God, uh, thank you that by your spirit um, I can be speaking your words right now. And Father, I pray that I will say what you want this part of the Bible to say. Uh, Father, that we might reach out to you and find you. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, some things happen in history that just mean our lives are never the same again. September 11, 2001, the attack on the Twin Towers in New York. Airport check-in will never be the same again. The COVID pandemic. It's never going to be unusual to say, I'm working from home today. We'll take the invention of the smartphone, possibly the most revolutionary change of them all, but rest assured, you never have to have an awkward conversation with a stranger again because you can always find something to look at on your phone. There are some events in history that just change the future of the world. And today I want you to think about how the resurrection of Jesus makes the future clear for us all. The future can raise all sorts of questions, uh, raise all sorts of anxieties in our mind. What will happen with climate change? Where will you be in 10 years' time? Will you ever own a home? Will World War III start? Obviously, I'm an optimistic kind of guy. Uh, I hope I didn't scare too much. Can I say, if you've got an exam this afternoon, that's enough of the future to worry about. Um, just stay focused. You can do it. You've got this. The future's looking bright. But the future can be a subject of great worry, but the future is relevant to us all. The future is relevant to us all. Whatever the destiny of the world is, that is the destiny of you and me. And today I want you to think about how the event of the resurrection thousands of years ago clarifies the future for every one of us. And I want us to do that by looking at an historic speech, an historic speech made by a man named Paul. This speech is recorded in the book of the Bible known as the Acts of the Apostles, probably written about AD 70. Now, as the name suggests, the book recounts the actions of Jesus' apostles um, they were eyewitnesses of Jesus. They lived with Jesus. They saw him die on a cross. They saw him alive after he was buried. And they were commissioned by Jesus to spread his message to the world. And Paul was one of those apostles. 
And Paul was one who took the message of Jesus to people who had never heard of it before. And the speech we're looking at today is a case in point. You see, this speech came at a time when it was dawning on Christians, the first generation of the church, that this message that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God, was not just for Jews, it was for the whole world. What we're looking at today is one of the first speeches where these Jewish apostles said, even if you're not a Jew, this God has a claim on you. Even if you're not a Jew, whether you're Greek or Asian or African or Australian or wherever you're from, this Jesus gives you hope for the future. And as we'll see, this speech addressed people who'd never heard the name Jesus before. Maybe that's you today. And if that is you, if if talk of Easter and resurrection and even church and Jesus is all new to you, you've come on a good day. Uh, This is a great speech to study. Now, why did Paul make this speech? Uh, Well, we get the context for the speech. If you're looking at the passage there in the first paragraph, say from sentences 16 to 21, Paul is triggered, uh, triggered into a speech about God because he sees so much false worship of God around him in Athens. So you look at the first sentence, uh, sentence 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his friends at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. Maybe you've found yourself in the city waiting for friends and uh, there's something that's upset you. Um, Maybe you've seen drunk people having fights. Uh, Maybe the bus is late again. Maybe the bus is late again and you forgot your phone. How do you wait when you don't have your phone with you? I mean, that could be five minutes of boredom. What do you do then? Before Paul gives his speech, Paul's waiting in Athens for his friends and he sees something that really upsets him. He sees people worshipping objects that they have made. The city is full of idols and he's compelled to speak up. Now he speaks to all different kinds of people, some Jews, some philosophers, some strangers in the marketplace. Uh, the local Athenians, they hear the message and, 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 and it just strange, it's weird. See, look there, some said, what does this babbler wish to say? What's he on about? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. So lots hadn't heard of Jesus before. Now, what are these strange ideas that he's talking about? Well, Paul gets a quite a prestigious invite. He gets invited to speak at this place called the Areopagus, where people just discuss new ideas, maybe a little bit like a university, and he gives his speech. Now, what does he say in his speech? Well, we'll work through the details shortly, but but here on the screen, here's the basic logic uh, of the speech. Firstly, God is not far from us. God has not left himself a mystery. God wants to be found. Secondly, we need to repent. Now, repent is an important Bible word. I'll say more about it. But he's saying we need to change our minds about God and change our lives accordingly. 
And thirdly, we need to repent because the resurrection makes the future clear. Jesus rose from the dead in the past, so we know what's coming in the future and we know how to prepare for that future now. So that's the basic logic. Let's look a bit closer to see how it all plays out. So firstly, God is not far from us. Acts chapter 17, verses 22 to 28. Now, Paul starts his speech with a very bold claim. See there, what therefore you Athenians worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. As Paul sees idol after idol around him, he thinks that the Greeks are just kind of betraying a reality that they have no idea who God is and who they should worship. And there's plural gods and it seems like they're just throwing up their hand in the air and picking gods they like. I mean, the giveaway for that is that there's an altar, you know, they give, make sacrifice, an altar that has a label on it to an unknown god. Paul speaks to an agnostic crowd. Heard that word? Agnostics believe you can't know about God one way or the other. Ultimately, God is a mystery. Maybe that's where you're at with God. You don't say there is no God. You're not an atheist. But you don't say there is a God and we can know what he's like. You just can't be that confident. And anyone who says confidently this is who God is, this is what he wants, well, you're you're sceptical about that. Well, Paul's historic speech starts with this very bold claim. He will explain God to us. What does he say? Look at uh, sentence 24. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. God is the one who rules everything, not just one piece or parcel of land, not just one dimension or demography. He rules everything. He's the Lord of heaven and earth and everything in between. And he rules because he made everything and he keeps everything going in the universe. He didn't just wind up the clock and let it run. He himself gives to all humanity life and breath and everything. Just take in this definition of God. He is the reason you are breathing right now. He has given you food and clothing and computers and smartphones and every synapse in your brain. God is the life giver and you owe everything to him. And because God is the Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't need anything from us. You've heard the saying, what do you give to the person who has everything? And we go out and we get a voucher for them. What what can you do that's going to add joy with something because there's no thing they lack? Well, how much more is that true when you're dealing with the Lord of heaven and earth? 
There's no point even making your most expensive gift to this God. It, it's not going to change his mind. It's not going to influence him one way or the other. God doesn't need our money. God doesn't need our help. When you know who God is, that kind of worship where it's, hey God, I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine. I'll give you something that you must be in debt. That kind of worship is just absurd. So what does that mean for us? If we can't give God anything, what do we do? Well, it comes back to understanding why God made everything in the first place. So keep reading. Listen to the next part of the speech, verse 26. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. God's made everything with a clear purpose in mind and put people in certain places in certain times for a certain purpose so that people might know him. That means he's put you on this planet, placed you in Sydney, 2023, made you a student at UNSW, brought you here today, not so you could say, hey God, you must be impressed, I went to a campus Bible study lecture. Not so you could say that, but you could say, I've learnt who God is and I need to get to know him more. God planned your life so you could have relationship with him. And your future might include finding your soulmate. Your future might include uh, finding many friends who each give you joy and strength to cope with life, but nothing compares to knowing God. Nothing compares to knowing the being who made the galaxies and the planets and also knit you together in your mother's womb. Nothing compares to standing in awe of the one who has unsearchable wisdom who also fully secures you in his love. And here's the best bit. This God who made the universe, this God who is beyond us in so many ways, is not far from us. We can find him and we can love him and know that he loves us. Come back to the passage, yet he is actually not far from each one of us for, because in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. So God is not far from us because he made us to be like him. The Bible says he made us in his image. He made us to be his children, we're his offspring. He talks and moves and works and loves and we talk and move and work and love. We aren't the same as him, but we were made to personally relate to him. God is not some distant cosmic policeman trying to keep a lid on cosmic chaos. God is not some lucky charm waiting for you to just kind of notch up enough credit so he'd protect you. God is the life giver who gives life because... 
because he loves to give life. He's generous, abundantly gracious, kind. And he gives because he wants you to draw near to him. Now, I'll just pause there. And because I think in our city today, we're, we're quite agnostic on the whole. I just want to come back to this, this question and objection about agnosticism. We live in a city that keeps telling us you can't be confident about God. Just last week, I spoke to a man who said he believes, quote, there's a force above my head. I know there's a force above my head. But he refused to give that, that force the name God. Would not do that at all. I don't know why. He said, that's arrogant. Well, how could Paul so confidently proclaim who God is? Well, the answer's not complicated. I mean, contrast to the ancient Greek gods, the ancient Greek gods, they were far up there, far beyond humanity. Um, you know, the only person that had business with the gods were the extraordinary warriors. They're the ones that had conquered all. They were the people who got close to God. That's a long way away. And bring it to our time. What Paul is saying, you don't have to be mega rich to get God's ear. That's kind of how power works. You know, like with the wealthy, the successful, they're in the upper echelons, they're the elites. It's not like that with God. You don't have to be super clever to get to know God. You don't need a PhD in philosophy. You don't have to have done some grand work to impress God. You don't need, a, don't need a Nobel Peace Prize. Any one of us can find God. Why? Because God has spoken to us. God has made himself known so we might know him. Look at these verses from the New Testament on the screen. Hebrews 1, 1 to 2. Let's check. Yep, great. Excellent. It says, In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. They say extraordinary claims demand extraordinary evidence. And the extraordinary evidence we need for God is there for us in the Bible. Because God doesn't just speak to one person at one time. He's spoken many times in various ways. And the ultimate, culminating, clearest revelation of God is through the Son, through the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus comes and, and is a real person who is seen and heard and touched and he embodies the fullness of God for us to see. Jesus is the definitive word of God for us all. And so our knowledge of God, it's really that simple. God has spoken to us. So let me give you a simple illustration. Um, not many of you have, have met my dad, maybe a couple. Um, I've been blessed to have a good dad. Uh, I love my dad. If he was here, you, you might not notice him. He's a pretty sort of quiet character. Um, reminds me of, I had once had a friend who said to me, David, you have a very stealthy gait. Stealth, G-A-I-T, stealthy gait. The way I walk is sort of quiet. I don't know what he's saying. But anyway, I think my dad, I think I inherited that from my dad. You're going to be watching the way I walk now, aren't you? Anyway. Um, so that might be you know, kind of an under, under the radar personality but how could you get to know my dad well I could just call him couldn't I and he could speak to you and you could speak to him you don't have to see him don't about FaceTime 
just through conversation, you could get to know him. You could have a relationship with him, couldn't you? And if he spoke to you at many times in various ways, I'd say you'd develop a close personal relationship with him. Now, would you say you were being arrogant for saying you knew my God after speaking to him? I don't think you'd say it was arrogance. You just having a conversation. You could question things. Is that really your dad? Maybe that's artificial intelligence, pretending to be your dad. Technology's pretty good these days. I mean, you, you can answer those questions. You can ask questions, you have answers to those questions, or you can ignore the silly questions. The reality is if somebody speaks and keeps on speaking, we get to know them. And we can seek relationship with them or walk away. In this speech where Paul's explaining God to people who are lost in a worship of invented gods, Paul says, God has set you up for success to know him. So what happens when we've run in the opposite direction? Paul says we need to repent. So we come to the next session, we need to repent. Now the word repent, it's a very important Bible word. Um, a simple way to think about it, simple definition, it means to change your mind. To change your mind. And Paul says we need to change our minds from avoiding God to being people who seek God knowing he's not far away from us. He can be found. Now, changing your mind starts with a right knowledge of God. So you look at sentence 29. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. So that's, that's referring to ancient pagan worship operating at that time. The Greeks had their pantheon of gods represented by different idols, different statues and different temples. And you won favour from the gods by going and sacrificing in those temples to those statues, so on and so forth. Now, in Sydney, we don't see too much of that around, depending on, I think, what your ethnicity culture is. It's out there. But generally, in our culture in Sydney, our idolatry is a little bit harder to spot. I was actually last year reading about some of the fallout from the Rainbow Jersey saga with the Manly NRL team, the, the Manly footy team. Uh, a number of players refused to wear a Rainbow Jersey because they claimed that God had a different view on human sexuality. Now, the, the non-Christian players, as they processed things, it revealed how much footy meant to them. And so you listen to this guy, Jake Travoyevich, okay, he's a good player. He said this, processing about the Christians who wouldn't play. It was nice to talk to the guys and get a clear understanding that we all come from different backgrounds with different beliefs and upbringings. Their number one thing is probably God and ours is footy. So it's about respecting each other's beliefs and we'll move forward together. My number one thing is footy, so at first it was hard to comprehend until they explained it. Now I'm really comfortable with it and I respect what they did. Can you kind of feel the agnosticism coming up there? They believe in God, I believe in footy. Creator of the universe, footy. <laughs> no difference there. We can't know. Jake Travoyevich, like many other Australians, worships footy. If something gets in the way of playing footy, that thing is tossed out. Footy is number one, and everything else is ruled by that. 
Friends, if God made Jake Travojevic and God gave him the muscles and the time and the health to play professional football, Jake Travojevic should repent. He needs a change of mind. Footy is good. It's not number one. God is number one. And it's not right if we live anywhere else. Now, it's easy to see Jake there and kind of laugh condescendingly and that's cute, Jake. Nice, mate. But can you actually relate uh, to this young man who's worshipping a God that is not really a God at all? I mean, what's number one? What determines your life for you? Is it money? Is it science? Is it your sexual desire? All these things have their place, but these things didn't make anything. These things don't give life. They're just part of life. None of them deserve to be number one. And none of them will pay off if you make them your reason for being. If we don't change our mind, if we keep worshipping these invented gods, we actually insult God, mock God, and he has every reason to condemn us. If I can just come back to my dad again, think to yourself, if I say to my dad, hey, Dad, I've just got heaps of stuff on at the moment, just really busy. I'm just wondering if we could just minimise our relationship time. Please keep sending the pocket money through for the kids. That's really helpful. Trust I'm still in the will. But what I'm thinking, I'll just call you on your birthday. If that's all right, I'll just call you on your birthday. Um, and I've got a photo of you. I've got a photo of you and I'll, I'll, you know, I'll have a chat to you through the photo from time to time. Is that cool? Not only would my dad be deeply hurt, he'd be justifiably, justly angry, wouldn't he? To put it in modern terms, if I treated my dad like that, it would be behaviour that deserves condemnation in the strongest possible terms. How much more if we trade the worship of the one who gives us life and breath and everything, we trade the worship for him for the worship of ridiculous imitations. So God is not far from us. We've all gone the other way. Is our future condemnation? Well, here's where Paul says, we know the future, we know we can come back to God. So verse 30, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. So God has not dealt his justice out for our ignorance of God. But he's saying we need to change our mind. God is saying change our mind. Why? Last point, because the resurrection makes the future clear. So sentence 30, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So the reason we need to repent is because our future is clear and the reason our future is clear is because Jesus rose from the dead. 
What they say, when you see Jesus rise from the dead, you know justice is coming from God. How does that work? Um, well, let's go back to one of the things that, Je- that God said to a messenger years before Jesus came on the earth. This is from uh, prophet Isaiah, another messenger of God, um, who, who promised there'd be a special servant of God who would come and deliver justice. So look at, look at the, the, the scribes here. Behold, God speaking, behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights, this one has lived perfectly. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. So the prophet's saying there's going to be someone who comes and God's spirit is going to be poured out on him and God will uphold him and he's going to bring justice and what is right to the whole world, not by military might, not by some peacekeeping force, but by gentleness, righteousness, self-sacrifice. And so when we see Jesus come into this world and change the world, not through military might, but through gentleness and righteousness and self-sacrifice, and we see God uphold him even through death, the tomb is empty, Jesus is alive, we say justice is coming to the world. And what's the biggest injustice? the way we've avoided God when God has come near to us. And Paul says, despite how criminal that is, despite how scandalous that is, God is willing to overlook that. God is willing to forgive that sin if we just change our mind about him and stop running away from him and run to him. Now, why can we run to God and God will welcome us with peace? Well, because that's Good Friday. Because Jesus himself took upon him the judgment that we deserve. But because Jesus rose from the dead, we know there's a day after whatever happens with climate change, after whatever happens with your exams, there's an appointment we all have where we will face the righteous judge. And he'll say, what have you done with your opportunity to come near to God? And God will forgive us if we have repented. Now, that might be a strange concept of the future to you. That might sound like la-la land, like fantasy. It's interesting, isn't it, predicting the future? It often sounds fantastic. Look at what um, the science fiction author um, Arthur C. Clarke said about predicting the future. He made lots of um, bold predictions. He said, trying to predict the future is a discouraging, hazardous occupation because the prophet invariably falls between two stools. If his predictions sound at all reasonable, you can be quite sure that in 20 or at most 50 years, the progress of science and technology has made him seem ridiculously conservative. That is, you can make predictions that are pretty safe and actually over time they become redundant. On the other hand, if by some miracle a prophet could describe the future exactly as it was going to take place, his predictions would sound so absurd, so far-fetched that everyone would laugh him to scorn. This has proved to be true in the past and will undoubtedly be true even more so 
of the century to come. The only thing we can be sure of about the future is that it will be absolutely fantastic. What he's saying there is that it will seem like utter fantasy if you mention it today. Now he's looking at science and saying, isn't science amazing? And if we're here now, we're going to be way over here later on. And what I'm saying to you from the Bible is, the Bible is saying there will be a day where we'll all face God and have to give an account for our life. And you might say, that's fantasy, that's laughable. Well, I'd say, look at the empty tomb. Look at who Jesus is. Look at the resurrection, because the resurrection makes the future clear. And so, there's one question that God brings before you today. Will you repent? Now, when Paul gave this speech to lots of people who had never heard of Jesus before, there were mixed reactions. So you come to that last paragraph. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. But others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst. But some men joined him and believed, among whom also was Dionysius, the Arabogite, and a woman named Damaris and others with them. You see that? There were, there were three responses to this historic speech about Jesus and the resurrection of the dead. First one was, they mocked him. They laughed at him. If that's you, quietly in your heart, just going, ha ha, this is funny. Thanks for listening. But I hope that you keep listening to your friend. I hope you'd still keep an open mind. You know your friend, you trust your friend. Maybe they've got more to say. Second response was, we'd like to hear more. If that's you. If you've heard some, some of these strange ideas, you're saying, hmm, I'm not sure, I'm totally on board, but there's some interesting things there. Well, keep asking your questions. There are answers. Keep reading. Keep seeking out the answer. That, that's, that's wonderful. God wants you to know him. He's not far away. Keep pursuing the truth. Thirdly, some joined Paul and believed. Maybe that's you. Right now, you're ready to say, yes, I want to change my mind about God. I'm done with avoiding him. I'm very thankful that Jesus has paid the price for my avoidance of him. I want to come close to him. I want to draw near to him. I want to, I want to follow God by following Jesus. If that's you, then can I encourage you God is not far from you. It just takes a simple word of prayer to God to announce, I want to change and come back to you. I want to repent. So if that is you right now, you say, yes, I've heard that God wants me to find him, and yes, God has opened the way for me to come near to him. Well, can I invite you to, to pray quietly in your heart, a prayer that's basically saying to God, Thank you for making yourself known. Sorry I've avoided you. Thank you for sending Jesus and help me to know you and help me to follow Jesus with my life. So if, let's all bow our heads, um, close our eyes, and if you'd like to repent right now, just say this prayer quietly in your heart as I say these words. Dear God, Thank you that you have revealed yourself in your word and through Jesus.
I'm sorry for avoiding you and worshipping gods that are not really gods at all. I deserve to be condemned. But thanks for sending Jesus to suffer, to die and suffer what I deserve so you can overlook the way I have ignored you. I change my mind and turn to worship you. Help me to follow Jesus and to be ready for the day of justice to come. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in this week to the Campus Bible Study Podcast. Make sure that you're subscribed on your regular podcasting app. And why don't you check us out on Facebook, YouTube, or visit our website at campusbiblestudy.org.